Today on The Matt Walsh Show, we are told that we must trust the medical and scientific experts, but what if the medical and scientific experts have gone completely insane and abandoned the most basic medical and scientific truths for ideological reasons? What then? Well, we'll talk about that today. Also, five headlines, including some good news from the Olympics as the women's USA soccer team continues to lose, which is great, and the trans weightlifter Laurel Hubbard completely flops in embarrassing fashion. Plus, Democrats panic as the eviction moratorium comes to an end, but should there have ever been an eviction moratorium in the first place? And we're also told that Florida is in the middle of a COVID crisis. Is that true? We'll talk about the data that the panic pushers don't want us to focus on. And finally, in our daily cancellation, Fauci, Don Lemon, Ted Lieu, and others all say that you have the right to be free from sickness. They're horribly wrong, of course, and I'll explain why. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So, you know, we talk a lot about boycotting companies, uh, and, and there's, a, there's a place for boycotting, especially the, the companies that hate us as conservatives and are working against us. Um, that, that's one thing. But I think an even more effective thing is to actually support the companies that are on our side, and uh, Charity Mobile is prime among them. Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company, and that's because 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. Um, you know, other mobile, mobile services support questionable causes and agendas, but Charity Mobile, uh, they support the pro-life cause, which is the number one cause in the culture, um, and it has been you know, ever since Roe v. Wade. Switch to a company that shares your beliefs and won't cancel or censor you, censor you for them. There's also a lot of other great perks that come. It's just a good company altogether. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. You get free usage alerts. You get a free app to monitor your usage, pay your bills, and more. Plus, there's no contract, there's no termination fees, there's no risk with a 30-day guarantee. What does that mean? It means that you might as well give it a shot. Try Charity Mobile, and if you want to do that, call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. We are condemned these days for failing to show the appropriate levels of deference and obedience to supposed medical and scientific experts. These condemnations could be heard loudly and frequently enough even before COVID. It was quite common during a discussion about, say, climate change that the skeptic would be shouted down or simply dismissed outright on the basis that he isn't a scientist and therefore his opinion has no merit. Of course, very often the people doing the shouting and dismissing were not scientists either, and yet they felt qualified to tell you that you're not qualified even as they continue to espouse their own views with abandon. Um, the standard cliched refrains of, you know, trust the science and listen to the scientists and you're not a doctor, what do you know? have been utilized by intellectually lazy people as a means of stifling discussion and silencing criticism for a long time. But in the age of COVID, they're now chanted like religious incantations. It's now not only a sign of intelligence if you shut up and nod your head in agreement with whatever statements a doctor or scientist makes, it's also a sign of virtue. Skepticism is now a character defect, a form of heresy. The scientific experts speak infallibly from their pulpits, and anyone who dares to contradict them, or even to ask for clarification, or even to say something like, oh, wait a minute, you said this before, and now you're saying this. If you do that, you're a blasphemer, an apostate. Burn him at the stake, figuratively for now, but perhaps literally soon enough. Uh, this is a problem, because most obviously, the alleged medical and scientific experts have been proven wrong so many times when it comes to COVID. And besides, if you agree with what they're saying now, whatever that happens to be, that means you're disagreeing with what they said a week ago. And if you disagree with what they're saying now, that only means you're, you, that you still agree with what they said a week ago. It's not actually possible to fully reject the scientific and medical authorities on the subject of COVID because whatever p opinion you hold has at one point been their opinion. And it may become their opinion again in the near future. The question is not, whether you agree with the experts. It's which version of the experts do you agree with? Do you like their recent work or do you prefer their older stuff? Maybe you're more of an oldies guy and so you really love a Fauci classic hit like there's no reason to be walking around with a mask on, which he said way back in March of 2020. But you can't do that, we're told. The other thing about trusting the experts and listening to the science is that you have to pretend yesterday never happened. 
Each day is the first day of your life. You are born anew with the sunrise. And all you are meant to do is reach out your hand and clasp onto the coattails of the experts and go wherever they lead you. Now, some of us aren't willing to live that way. We're not able to pretend that we're the guy from Memento with a memory that dates back no further than 47 minutes into the past. Uh, We look at the whole picture. And we see the experts contradicting themselves, going back on their own pronouncements, making determinations that are clearly driven by politics. Like when they all declared in unison that it's not safe to eat at a restaurant, but it is safe for BLM mobs to gather by the thousands in the streets. That, you know, you can't eat at the restaurant, but you can loot it. That you can do. Now that alone, the fact that public health authorities all made an exception for BLM riots during the height of the pandemic was enough for reasonable and intelligent people to permanently lose whatever faith they might have had in public health authorities. But it gets worse. The real problem is, uh, is, is what they're doing now and saying, apart from COVID. See, it's one thing to be cowardly partisan hacks, as nearly all of these people have proven themselves to be. In theory, though, even cowardly partisan hacks can still be reliable sources of medical or scientific information, some of the time at least. But the sickness in the expert community runs much deeper than mere partisanship. The fact is that these people, many of them anyway, have abandoned scientific truth completely on the most fundamental level. After all, what good is a medical expert who doesn't understand or pretends not to understand basic human biology? Now, I shared on the, on the show a few days ago, I think it was Friday or maybe Thursday, uh, a disturbing report by Katie Herzog published on Barry Weiss's Substack about the intrusion of gender theory into medical school. We already knew that gender theory had infected grade school and four-year universities. Um, and ne- but now we know that it's made its way into medical school, which is no surprise. But this is where, of course, the next generation of doctors are being taught. And now they're being taught that biological sex does not exist. So let me read a portion of that report again, uh, because it's important. So it said, uh, quote, during a recent endocrinology course at a top medical school in the at the University of uh, or in the University of California system, a professor stopped mid lecture to apologize for something he'd said at the beginning of the class. Quote, I don't want you to think that I am in any way trying to imply anything. And if you can summon some generosity to forgive me, I would really appreciate it. The physician says in a recording provided by a student in the class whom we'll call Lauren. Quote, again, I'm very sorry for that. It was certainly not my intention to offend anyone. The worst thing that I can do as a human being is be offensive. His offense, using the term pregnant women. Quote, I, I said, I said uh, when a woman is pregnant, which implies that only women can get pregnant, and I most sincerely apologize to all of you for that. It wasn't the first time that Lauren had heard an instructor apologize for using language that to most Americans would seem utterly inoffensive. Words like male and female. Why would medical school professors apologize for referring to a patient's biological sex? Because, Lauren explains, in the context of her medical school, acknowledging biological sex can be considered transphobic. When sex is acknowledged by her instructors, it's sometimes portrayed as a social construct, not not a biological reality, she says. In a lecture on transgender health, an instructor declared, quote, biological sex, sexual orientation, and gender are all constructs. These are all constructs that we have created. In other words, some of the country's top medical students are being taught that humans are not, like other mammals, a species comprising two sexes. The notion of sex they are learning is just a man-made creation. Now, we should really stop and contemplate the sheer depth of the cowardice here on display. This is a professor at a top medical school, someone who certainly understands biology, understands that only women can get pregnant, understands that there is an innate biological difference between males and females, And that this difference is by no means in any way a social construct. Now, he understands that. And yet he is too afraid to speak this truth to his own students. When it is his job to speak that truth for fear of being called transphobic. This is exactly like a math professor who's too afraid to say that 5 plus 5 equals 10 for fear that it might upset those who prefer to live in a world where 5 plus 5 equals 5,000. It is... Exactly the same as that in terms of the general insanity and the cowardice involved. And it doesn't end with medical school, obviously. 
Here's the latest headline um, on this front. This is from WebMD. Article just published yesterday. It says, remove sex from public birth certificates, AMA says. The article explains, quote, sex should be removed as a legal designation on the public part of birth certificates, according to the American Medical Medical Association. Requiring it can lead to discrimination, an unnecessary burden on individuals whose current gender identity does not align with their designation at birth, namely when they register for schools or sports, adopt, get married, or request personal records. Sarah Mae Smith, MD, delegate from California, speaking on behalf of the Women Physicians Section, said removing the sex designation is important for moving towards gender equity. She said, quote, we need to recognize gender is not a binary, but a spectrum obligating our patients to jump through numerous administrative hoops to identify as who they are based on a sex assigned at birth, primarily on genitalia, is not only unnecessary, but actively deleterious to their health. Okay, notice the the language that this doctor and a delegate for the American Medical Association uses. She says that sex is assigned at birth. That is her medical language. Assigned as if it's given to the child by the doctor on an entirely arbitrary basis. Which is like saying when you go in for a physical and they, they, they do your height and your weight. It's like saying that that's been assigned to you. Your height and weight measurements are assigned by whoever does the measure, measurement. Well, I've been assigned six foot one. Too bad. I was hoping they'd give me seven feet. There goes my NBA dream. This makes no sense, obviously. And neither does the claim that sex is on a spectrum. The people making these claims know that it doesn't make sense. They are destroying the medical profession from the inside and doing it on purpose. And eventually, the really scary thing is they're going to give rise to a generation of scientists and doctors who repeat the same madness and yet do not know that it is madness. And I say eventually, but that is happening right now as we speak. And we're supposed to sit back and simply trust these people. It is accurate to say now that my eight-year-old kids understand more about human biology than that medical school professor and many of the doctors who will come out of that system. My children know more than they do, are greater experts on biology than they are. And that's why we don't trust the experts, because we can't, because they've all gone insane. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now we check in with uh, our very good friends over at Rock Auto. One of the big problems with going to an auto parts store when you need auto parts is, number one, you might have to get into your car that might not be working. That's why you need the auto parts. But also, um, especially if you live around where, where I live, and it's 7,000 degrees outside, I think, uh, you know, almost the, the temperature of the surface of the sun, almost. And you got to get into the car, and it's super hot out. Why do you want to do that? Just stay inside your home, on your couch, like the lazy slobs we all are, and pull out your phone and go to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible. And uh, you know that if you find it on rockauto.com, uh, that's it. It's the lowest price. You don't have to look anywhere else. Rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The catalog is unique. It's extensive. They got everything you could possibly want, but also it's really easy to navigate. You can quickly find everything you're looking for on rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And remember, I want to get credit for this. So write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, box? So they know that we sent you. Well, um, I, as big news, I do want to start with biggest news of all. My wife and I, uh, prior to this weekend, we had never been to Costco at all. You know, not together, not individually. Uh, and I know that that means we hardly qualified as American citizens. I think even legally, you know, I, I don't even know if we qualified, but um, but uh, that's how it was. And we, we'd never been. And then we decided on Saturday that we're going to go to Costco for the first time. And that was going to be, um, that was like our, our family event on Saturday. That's what we did. Big, big, big deal. Um, you know, when you're, when you're parents and you're married, this is, this is what you do on a Saturday. You go to Costco. And so we did. And now that I've, that I've been, and I heard so much about this place, um, 
All I can say is that that place is dangerous. It is. It should probably be illegal. It should, they should probably all be shut down forcibly by the government. Um, and I admit we made some rookie mistakes. Like we went on the weekend. Too many people. It's like an amusement park. There's a, there's a line to get in the door like an amusement park. Uh, and then we brought our kids, which is a bad idea. And then also um, I was hungry. And, you know, you know, you never go grocery shopping while you're hungry, especially at a place like Costco. I, I can see how you would save a lot of money at Costco in theory, but in practice, everything is more expensive. It's just that you get a whole lot more of it. But the, then the problem is, do you really need like a 50-gallon whiskey barrel filled with Cheez-Its? Do you really need enough baked beans to fill a swimming pool? Do you need you know, a can of tuna the size of a hubcap? Do, do you actually need that? Do you need so much Dijon mustard that you'll have enough left over to bequeath it to your children when you pass away? Um, I, you know, pound for pound, gallon for gallon, the deals are great. But then again, if I offered to sell you a tuba for $200, that would be a great deal. But you're still out to $200 and you didn't need the tuba. So it's, it's, it's like the, the Black Friday thing where, oh, you know, there's all these great deals. I can get this toaster that doubles as a remote control car and it's only $35. Yeah, that's true, but you're out to 35, and did you actually need that? That's the question. So, anyway, long story short, or long story long, long, um, we ended up spending, I think, $46,000, and um, we've already eaten most of the snacks, or at least the kids have. The whole, the whole tub of Cheez-Its is already gone. So, it, it can work, but you got to go in there with a blueprint and a strategy, and you got to be serious about it. I think that's what we learned. All right, so... Good news from the Olympics. I, I love to start Monday on a good, some, some, with some good news. Rarely, rarely can we do that, but we can here. Um, first of all, the U.S. women's soccer team lost to Canada. So, <laughs> indignity on top of indignity. Uh, not only did they lose, but they lost to Canada, of all things. And that means they're no longer in contention for the gold. And that's, that's great news. Um, also this, from the Daily Wire, it says, New Zealand transgender weightlifter Laurel Hubbard competed and failed Monday in women's 87-kilogram um, weightlifting at the Tokyo Olympics. So I, I wish these measurements were in American, damn it. On a kilogram, I think, what is that? Uh, is it two pounds is a kilogram? I could be totally wrong about that. Pretend I didn't say it if I'm wrong. In Hubbard's first attempt, the weightlifter tried to lift 120 kilograms and failed. In the 43-year-old's second attempt, Hubbard lifted a very shaky 125-kilogram. As noted by one of the female commentators, it was very surprising that the questionable 125-kilogram lift wasn't challenged with an appeal. On the third attempt, Hubbard could not lift the 125-kilogram, bouncing the weightlifter from the competition. The announcer said, quote, uh, that's the end of Laurel Hubbard, as Hubbard waved to the cameras and to those at the competition. Uh, and so now, now uh, this, this man is gone. And that's good because... He deserves to be humiliated in this fashion, fashion because this is cheating. I don't, I don't care what, what the uh, insane official rules say. You're a male competing against females. You have, an, you have undue inherent biological advantages. You know you have those advantages, and you're using those advantages to your benefit. And I would say that's cheating. And so, so, he, so he lost. But, of course, what's happening now, predictably, is that the left is saying that this actually proves that men don't have an advantage. They're celebrating this, too. They say, yeah, see, you see, there's no advantage. Everybody's worried about Laurel Hubbard, a man competing against women, and, uh, and she loses. And so, you see, there's no, you guys are you're freaking out over nothing. There's no advantage at all. Yeah, except that this was a 43-year-old pudgy, out-of-shape dude. Have you seen pictures of this guy? Does not look like a weightlifter at all. Looks like I could, I could probably beat him in arm wrestling, okay? And um, out-of-shape, mediocre athlete who couldn't come anywhere close to qualifying against the men. Then, of course, but it's just a, it's a coincidence, though. Couldn't qualify, couldn't hack it against the men, and then discovers late in life that, oh, actually, I'm a woman. Well, what do you know? That's a coincidence, though. I mean, we, we, couldn't, we could never accuse Laurel Hubbard of having this um, revelation for self-serving reasons, even if it was extremely self-serving. It's a coincidence that it's so self-serving. You understand. But out of completely out of shape, mediocre athlete, 
Um, of course, he loses. But the fact that he qualified as an Olympic weightlifter in the first place against women tells you everything you need to know. I ask you, how many, how many pudgy, out-of-shape, 43-year-old females are qualifying as Olympic weightlifters? Can you give me an example of one? This dude is competing against like 21-year-old women um, who have, who are, you know, talented athletes against their own competition. And he waltzes in there and it makes it onto the stage at least. Oh, but yeah, the, the, the fact that this, guy, this 43-year-old guy couldn't win the, the gold medal proves that men don't have an advantage. Yeah, you know what? If I, if I just uh, stumbled into the Olympics myself, and, uh, you know, and, and was accepted as a female. And I got onto the track against um, the women in the 100-meter dash. I would lose badly. Well, that, I guess that proves that uh, men don't have an advantage. Or it proves that I'm just slow. And I have no business being there. And, of course, I would get beat. If you really want to know about the advantages, there's a website um, called boysversuswomen.com boysvswomen.com and the whole website is dedicated to comparing the world record times the, the women's world record um, times in track and field events against high school boys and if you go down the list so basically you have the best high school boy um, a child against the best female athlete in the world and if you go down the list for all the track and field world records, the boy wins. The boys win every single one except for the marathon. All of the others, well over a dozen, close to two dozen, um, the boys win handily. So, so, for example, 200 meters, just pulling one example at random, 200 meters, the, the women's world record is 21.34. World record. Best woman, female athlete in the world. Adult. That was beat by a 14-year-old boy with a 20.89. Okay? Um, and that's a pretty significant difference, by the way, in a 200-meter dash. 1,500 meters, uh, best female time. Women's world record is, um, is uh, 3 minutes, 50 seconds, 50.07. And... Um, that was beat by about two seconds by a 14-year-old boy. And you go down the list, and you've got 14-year-old boys, 15-, 16-, 17-year-old boys beating the women's world record times in every single contest except one. Oh, but there's, there, there's, there's no advantage. No advantage at all. All right. Um, Moving on now, the COVID panic pushers have zeroed in on Florida again. Uh, they, I suppose they were never not zeroed in on Florida. But they tell us that Florida is the new epicenter of COVID. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a crisis, an emergency in Florida. Here's a report from the CBS Miami affiliate. Um, this report was published yesterday. It says, Florida is becoming the epicenter. And I, as I read this, pay attention to what you're not told. Okay. Florida is becoming the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak. And just this week, cases jumped 50% with more than 110,000 new cases reported. Case numbers are now back to where they were in January before the vaccine became available. Dr. Eileen Marty said there is no higher risk area in the United States than we're seeing here. The numbers that we're seeing are unbelievable, just unbelievably frightening. According to the Florida Health Department, the new positivity rate for all of Florida is at 18%. In Broward, it's 14%. Miami-Dade, it's 12%. Monroe County is at 16%. Um, and uh, going on, I'm, I'm just skimming through to see if we get this information that I'm looking for. Other hospitals like Memorial Healthcare System say they're overwhelmed. Uh, this morning, we had over 420 patients with COVID and 55 are in ICU. In the ICU, 55 people are fighting for their lives and only one of them is vaccinated, um, said a COVID ICU nurse manager named Joanna Maija. And skimming through, now, you notice what's missing here, what we're not being told? Um, how many people are dying? 
That's what they're not telling us. And this is the shift that I've been talking about over the last few days. Now, you go back to the winter um, and for the year prior to that. And that's what that was the, the number one thing we were told is how many people are dying. The death rate. Which which in a way is fair because that is the that it, you would think that's the most important figure. How many people are dying? Because we know that a, a great majority of people get the virus, they recover okay, and they're fine. And we're not too worried about that. So that's that's not the really troubling. When we hear um, unbelievably frightening, when I when I when someone tells me they have unbelievably frightening statistics about a disease, well then I want to hear about the deaths because that's the unbelievably frightening thing. If people are dying left and right. But if millions of people are getting a virus and they barely even notice they have it and uh, they have a headache and the sniffles for a few days and then they're fine, I I don't consider that unbelievably frightening, frightening even if a lot of people have it. Now, if a great portion of those people are dying, that is unbelievably frightening. Except in this article, and this is the case in so many of the articles that you're going to read about the COVID outbreak in Florida, Florida is the new epicenter, Florida is doing horrible they're not going to say much about the deaths. And um, why is that? Well, it's because not a lot of people are dying in Florida. So as it stands right now, I'm looking at the latest statistics. This is the New York Times, far from a far right rag. Okay. Um, And they're also not trying to do any favors to Florida, but this is what they say. Seven day average for deaths as of August 1st, 2021 is 58. Okay. That's the um, seven day daily average of 58 people. And just out of curiosity, and I have to look it up right now because I don't know it off the top of my head. What is the population of Florida? It is 21 million. So in a, in a state with 21 million people, on average, 58 in the entire state are dying. It's sad when anybody dies. But 58 out of 21 million. And, you know, last week we, we kind of broke this down. We went through the, the major cities, the most populated cities in the country to look at, you know, what their daily death rate is. And in a lot of these cities, like in Chicago and other cities, Philadelphia, it's like one or two or zero. Washington, D.C. has not had a death from COVID in at least a week. They've had one or two in two weeks. What about in Florida? We break it down a little bit. Um, and I will look this up right now, just out of curiosity, live on the air. Okay, so look it up, Miami. Okay, just as an example. Miami, according to the New York Times statistics, has not had a death from COVID since, what is this? We'll call it June 9th or 10th. So they've gone almost the entire summer in Miami without a single death. Um, what is the most populated city in Florida? I think it's Jacksonville, I believe. And, uh, let's see. What about them? I'm looking at it right now. They have not had a death in Jacksonville in the entire city since, again, early June, let's say June 3rd or 4th or 5th. Um, you could go, I don't know, Orlando we could look at. Let's see, Orlando, again. Just a, just a, the, the death line on the, on the graph is just solid straight across until you get back to, again, early June. So some of the biggest and most populated, most condensely populated cities in Florida have not had any deaths at all for almost the entire summer. So that's the un, that is unbelievably frightening. And you know what? It's true. That, that is unbelievably frightening if you want the pandemic panic to continue. If you're frightened of the pandemic ending, then it is absolutely frightening that so few people are dying, I suppose. But to those of us who don't want people to die and who actually love and cherish life, okay, to those of us who are not deranged scumbags, this is great news. This this is great. It's very sad when anybody dies. We know that people are going to die every single day in this country. Hundreds of people every single day die. Very sad thing. 
But when you can look at some of the most populated cities in Florida or across the country and see that almost nobody is dying from this, great. Wonderful news. We should throw a parade celebrating it. But we can't because um, it is actually being mourned by, by the COVID panic pushers. All right. Next here, the CDC's eviction moratorium uh, has expired. That was the rule passed down by our overlords of the C- CDC saying that landlords are not allowed to evict people who don't pay their rents. Now, how in the hell does the CDC have the authority to make a policy? How do they have the authority to make any policy, let alone a housing policy? Well, nobody ever quite explained that. The CDC never explained where they get this authority from, but they found it. Or rather, they just claimed it. That's what tyrants do. They say, oh, you know, that's what do you mean authority? I, I have the authority because I'm doing it. That's why I have it. Um, and so that was the policy that had been in place for months now, and then it expired. Congress didn't extend it, and now the socialist wing of the Democrat Party, which is otherwise known as the entire Democrat Party, is playing the blame game. Um, First, here's AOC a few nights ago, in the middle of the night, saying that she was marching to the Capitol to demand that the moratorium be extended. Uh, This, this I think, is pretty frightening. This is kind of an insurrection that she, you might say, that she conducted on her own. Let's watch this. Hello, from Washington. It is about 11.24 right now, and I am walking to the Capitol because Congress is is about to allow the National Eviction Moratorium to expire at midnight tonight. And they're forcing the moratorium to expire before the emergency rental assistance money has gotten out to renters and mom and pop landlords. And so... I'm heading out over there because Sister Cori Bush has called for us to come out there and call on Congress to bring their butts back so that we can vote to extend the moratorium. It's not just me and it's not just Representative Bush, but we've done a call and lots of everyday people are starting to show up on the Capitol steps demanding that we extend the eviction moratorium because the alternative is to allow almost 11 million people to be at risk of eviction starting midnight tonight. Look at that. That is, uh, that's, that's terrible. Storming the Capitol, an insurrection. It's worse than 9-11, honestly. Um, but it's the, the, the eviction moratorium. She's saying it's, it's, it's coming to an end. People are going to be evicted. It's going to be a crisis across the country. And that might actually happen where, where lots of people lose their housing because um, they've been told for the last many months that they don't have to pay their rent. And, and, and that was never going to last forever. It couldn't last forever. And so by giving people, waving your magic wand and giving millions of people the right, quote unquote, to not pay their rent, you have set them up for this AOC You've set them up for what's about to happen. But we should say she was on CNN later after storming the Capitol and um, and conducting this insurrection. The insurrectionist was on CNN talking about this, and she doesn't blame the Republican Party. She actually blames the Democrats. Let's watch that. Democrats control the House. You guys control the Senate. You guys control the White House. Nothing aggressive was done by leadership Mm -hmm. uh, until just a couple days ago. Who's to blame here? Well, you know, I think there's a couple of of issues here. First of all, you are absolutely correct in that the House and House leadership had the opportunity to vote to extend the moratorium. And there were many, and there was frankly a handful of conservative Democrats in the House that threatened to get on planes rather than hold this vote. And we have to um, really just call a spade a spade. We cannot, in good faith, blame the Republican Party when House Democrats have a majority. Now, There is something to be said for the fact that this court order came down on the White House a month ago and the White House waited until the day before the House adjourned to release a statement asking on Congress to extend the moratorium. Conservative Democrats. (laughs) That's the funniest thing I've heard in several days. A handful of conservative Democrats. Who are those exactly? Every single Democrat that you will talk to publicly will say, you know, for example, that men can get pregnant. So that that that's conservative now. Conservative Democrats. 
Uh, but this is a, a perfect example of the faux compassion that you get from the left, and even a lot of people on the right who, who defend these sorts of policies. An eviction moratorium. If we could put to the side the fact that the CDC does not have the authority to issue such a proclamation in the first place, and it's, it's kind of, you know, that's the law, okay, the Constitution, it's sort of hard to put that to the side. It's, it's really important, I would say, if we want to be a civilized society um, under, under any kind of rule of law, then, then you, you can't really put the law to the side. But if we were to do that and just talk about this thing on the merits, you, this is horrific, um, counterproductive stupid, morally deranged, immoral, that you are telling people that they must, that they are required to keep people in their homes, on their property, who are not paying for the right to be there. That's what the government declared. If you're a landlord um, and there's someone on your, on your property, in your home, who is refusing to pay you, refusing to compensate you at all, you must continue to pay for them to live there. You got to pay their bills. You're paying the mortgage. You have to pay their rent for them and allow them to stay on your property. That, you know what that is? That's slavery. That's forced labor. You're being forced by the government to pay someone else's rent for them. On your property. It's like, it's unthinkable. And yet millions of idiots will defend it. On the basis of compassion. Compassion for who exactly? What about the person who owns the house? Owns the property? What about them? You're putting them underwater. Because a big part of their financial plan here is that, you know, they've got to pay the mortgage on this property. And so to help them pay the mortgage, then that's, that's, that's why the renters have to pay. It's not, it's not, it, you know, j- just to be clear, it's not because they're mean. Landlords are, it's not because they're mean that they're making you pay the rent. It's because they're providing you with something, with a service, and you have to pay in exchange. But also, uh, they need to pay. Very often, they have bills they have to, they have to pay the mortgage on this property. And if you don't chip in, then now they got to pay their own mortgage for their home, plus this, and however many, many other properties they own. So you are putting them in a financial crisis by not fulfilling your own obligations. And so, yeah, it's, you know what, it's compassionate if we pretend that the landlords don't exist, that they're not really people. Speaking of forced labor and slavery, if we just pretend that they don't count as people, then, yeah, it's perfectly compassionate. And, and again, the, the land, yeah, there, there are mean landlords out there. Um, I, I haven't I haven't rented in a long time, but it was my experience with landlords. I had some good experiences and some bad experiences. Um, so there are mean landlords out there. There are bad landlords, sure. But it's still their property. They own it. And you don't have a right to be there if you're not paying for it. Imagine, think, imagine thinking that someone else, some stranger is entitled. You are entitled to stay on their property without compensating them. You're entitled to it. Imagine walking into someone else's house, a stranger, you don't know them, and saying, I'm entitled to be here. No, you can't kick me out. Because that's what you're doing. You're squatting. You're a squatter now, and you are uh, trying to defend your right to squat on this property without paying. It, it really is infuriating. And, uh, and, and just so you know, yeah, there are mean landlords out there. There are bad landlords. But not every landlord is some sort of um, fat cat, you know, in his... In his uh, office, sitting on his leather chair, stroking his, his, uh, his white cat, smoking a cigar, laughing maniacally about all the poor people he's about to evict from his uh, property. Okay, that, that's, that's not the case. That's, that how, that's not how all landlords are. In fact, most of them aren't. You know, a lot of landlords, they're just normal people. You want to know a situation that happens a lot? And this is how, you know, a lot of um, single family homes that are for rent. You could have just a normal family that moves from a house and let's say they're not able to sell it or they decide they don't want to sell it. And so, and they move into a different house and they rent out the house they just moved out of. These are just normal middle-class families. Yeah, there are plenty of normal middle-class families, middle-class people 
who are landlords. And, but they don't count. And now you're saying, oh, you got to pay two mortgages now. And if you're destitute because of it, that's your problem. And, and, and also, I, I think it, it, it's, uh, there's some bearing, this has some bearing on this thing, that employers across the country are begging for employees. Okay, there is not a crisis of jobs not being available. Employers are begging for people to come work for them. Offer You can get a signing bonus at McDonald's now. So who exactly are these, uh, these millions of renters who simply cannot pay their rent at all, don't have the ability, can't get a job, can't do anything, while you've got employers begging, saying, please come work for us, we'll do anything. But I know you have, the, you have the right to say, no, I don't want the job, but I'm just going to stay here and I'm not going to pay for anything. And you have to pay for me to stay here in your house. Yeah, great compassion there. All right. Um, let's see what else we got here. Chicago under uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has reinstated its mask mandate. I'm sorry, it's guidance. They're, they're calling it. Wearing a mask is strongly encouraged for everyone indoors. And this is because of a surge in cases, although the daily death rate from COVID in Chicago right now is, I think before I said it was, uh, excuse me, it's actually two. So the, the, I, th- I think I said it was one. It's double that. It's actually two. So the COVID daily death rate is two in Chicago, two people dying per day. But now they're reinstating the mask thing. Um, and yet, Lori Lightfoot, after reinstating the mask guidance, decided to um, still have Lollapalooza, which is the, uh, you know, the rock festival. Thousands of people showed up. And uh, now, now I, I see, and she was getting some criticism for that, and she should be. I see no problem in principle with having Lollapalooza. I mean, have all the music festivals you want. Live your life. It's fine. It's great. Go to a music festival. It's, it's fantastic. But when you're doing it while telling people to wear masks and you're not wearing one yourself, that's where the problem comes in. Although it isn't as bad as D.C., where they reinstated their mask mandate, full mandate, even though the average daily death rate from COVID in D.C., again, is zero. Yes, zero. And yet, even, even after Mayor Bowser put the mandate in effect, she officiated a wedding without masks on for hundreds of people. And the day before that, she, had, she threw a birthday party, a maskless birthday party for herself. Um, so more, more COVID hypocrisy there. Other Lollapalooza, Lollapalooza news that I think is very worth mentioning. Limp Biscuit performed. Um, kids, you don't know about Limp Biscuit, probably for the better. Fred Durst. Uh, I think, we, do we have the picture of Fred Durst? This is really important. Okay, here he is. So Fred Durst, I, I didn't even know he was still alive, but he is. Just barely, based on the picture. That's what Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit looks like now, as he was performing at Lollapalooza. He looks like an LAPD homicide detective in like 1975. Or maybe a a track and field coach or something. And everybody calls him Coach Creeper behind his back because of certain rumors that may or may not be true. We're getting old. In conclusion. Um, All right, let's move on now to reading the YouTube comments. This is from Jacob Nobles. He says, it's hilarious that Matt spouts off all of these scientific facts about masks and vaccines, yet he can't even admit the fundamental scientific truth that trans women are women. See, I sense that you're you're trolling, Jacob, but I I don't know. I can never tell anymore. That's the problem. Um, Moose Chuckle says, Matt, this is day three of me making you regret saying sweet daddy Walsh. Well, I regret nothing. And pretty bold of you to make fun of my name with a name like Moose Chuckle. Um, Rebecca says, I posted on social media that I was a proud member of the Sweet Baby Gang. Now everyone thinks I'm pregnant. Thanks, Matt. Well, what's, what, what's wrong with that? Um, and SK says, after your example of how unsafe driving is, I'm scared to ever get into a car again. Yeah, I got a lot of comments like that. We were talking about this comparison with driving and wearing masks. Um, and that's, but that's the thing and we'll talk more about this in the daily cancellation come up in a second, but you don't, there are, there are so many things you do in your life that aren't really dangerous, but there are risks involved that you don't even stop to think about. You don't, you don't dwell on it at all. You just go about living your life. 
I mean, think about how many bridges you have gone over without calculating ahead of time the probability that this might be a bridge with structural integrity issues. You just don't think about those things. That, that, that's the only way to live and function as a human being. And, um, and finally, Rebecca says, the pornography epidemic terrifies me and the lack of freak out about it is pretty horrifying. Yeah, well, I, I think the, it's, it's not freak out. I, I don't think we ever want people to freak out about anything because nothing constructive happens about that. But paying attention to it and what it's doing to our children, what pornography is doing to our children, um, yeah, the fact that we're not paying attention to that, that is horrifying, especially on the right. Because we know on the left, it's all hedonism all the time. But if, if on the right, we can't focus on this issue or see that it's important to protect our children from this, then, I mean, what hope do we have? What hope do our kids have? We've talked plenty today about the tyranny of the CDC and other supposed public health authorities who uh, are not authorities at all on that subject anymore. And when we're, when we're in the midst of this tyranny, it's the perfect time for Ben's new book, uh, The Authoritarian Moment, to come out and for you to read it. It's now available everywhere that you buy books. Pick up this book, Authoritarian Moment, and learn how to say no to an increasingly tyrannical government. The Authoritarian Moment is now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other major bookseller. So get your copy now and leave a five-star review to let others know that this book is definitely worth their time. Also, it might seem like a dream, but lounging with the hosts backstage has never been more in your reach. Um, you probably haven't been dreamt about that. In fact, if you have been dreaming about us, then I'd prefer if you didn't show up for this, or at least don't tell us, because that's kind of creepy. But anyway, we're giving away a free trip for two to come hang out with the Daily Wire hosts backstage here at our Nashville studios, where you can meet all of us. You can tour the studios, tour the offices, and get a great swag bag of merch and watch us debate on the show live. You can even come see my Beautiful studio, which is uh, literally a closet that they have stuffed me in uh, with no windows or anything. And I'm just here in the darkness. And in fact, when you come to to the studio, I'll just be sitting here in the darkness, hunched over like some sort of beast that they keep locked back here. Um, Anyway, you can see that as well. It'll be a lot of fun. So go to dailywired.com slash backstage and enter code backstage at checkout for 25% off your membership. So again, head to dailywire.com slash backstage with code backstage for 25% off. And now let's get to our daily cancellation. As we know, Dr. Fauci always has a very busy schedule filled with TV interviews. So it's nice when he could take some time away from his TV interviews to do some more TV interviews. And that was the case this Sunday when he appeared on the show this week on ABC and addressed the skeptics who object to the CDC's new mask mandate. And by the way, skeptics of the CDC's mask mandate include the CDC itself, which, as we've covered, previously said that immune people don't need to wear masks. And now they say they do without ever providing any data to justify the change. In any case, Fauci, who agreed with the CDC when they said one thing about the masks, now agrees with them when they say the opposite. And he goes further. He says that if you disagree, you are infringing on other people's rights. Listen. The fact is there are things that are individual responsibilities that one has, and there are things that have to do with you individually which also impact others. And get the spread of infection that we're seeing now, the surge in cases, John, is impacting everyone in the country. So although you want to respect a person's individual right, when you're dealing with a public health situation, and we are, in fact, in a very serious public health challenge here with a pandemic, with a virus that has an extraordinary capability of spreading rapidly and efficiently from person to person. So a person's individual, individual decision to not wear a mask not only impacts them, because if they get infected, even though they say it's my decision, if I get infected, I'll worry about that. But the fact is, if you get infected, even if you are without symptoms, you very well may infect another person who may be vulnerable, who may get seriously ill. So in essence, you are encroaching on their individual rights because you're making them vulnerable. So you could argue that situation both ways. That's pretty impressive, you have to admit. Dr. Fauci was not content to simply be wrong about literally everything he says about science and medicine. Now he's expanding his horizons to be wrong legally and philosophically, too. He's like a, a renaissance man of wrongness, a jack of all bull, you might say. 
And this all may remind you of the ranting and raving done by Don Lemon on CNN a few days prior, which we played on the show, where he, where he called for um, vaccine passports and claimed that unvaccinated people don't have the right to use public transportation, eat at restaurants, go to their jobs. But he's not trying to infringe on their rights simply by removing their ability to do anything at all. No, he says that um, they're infringing on everybody else's rights by existing. Now, the idea that you're taking another person's right away by unknowingly getting them sick is total abject nonsense. But it's also the idea that lies at the heart of most of these draconian policies. I doubt whether the people pushing and instating the policies believe it themselves, but it's certainly what they want you to believe. They want you to believe that you have a right to be free from sickness. And anybody who makes you sick, even if they don't mean to, has committed some sort of wrong against you. They want you to believe that it's your right for everyone else to wear a mask. You are entitled to have everyone else wear a mask, they say. And, and, uh, and as far as that goes, they're lying. Probably the craziest form of this argument came from Congressman Ted Lieu, who tweeted recently, quote, You have no right to spread your respiratory droplets on me, on others, in public, and in businesses. The majority of reasonable Americans are going to fight the tyranny of the minority who insist that they can leave their saliva everywhere, and we will win. Yes, that's, that's what... Going out in public and breathing is now insisting that you can leave your saliva everywhere. You have no right to breathe around other people. You have a right to be free of other people breathing, is what Ted Lieu says. This is, that's the kind of statement that in another time and another place, that would get you locked in an insane asylum. That's the kind of thing that, that clinical OCD patients would say. So let's begin with a very basic point here. If you are infringing on other people's rights by unknowingly getting them sick, then you have infringed on other people's rights hundreds of times in your life. Every time you leave your house, COVID or no COVID, mask or no mask, you are potentially infringing on other people's rights because you could potentially get them sick with any disease you do or don't have. Do or don't know you have, I should say. If, if, you, if you don't have the right to put other people in jeopardy by going about your daily life, then you don't have the right to go about your daily life ever at all, period. When you venture out into the world and encounter other humans in any context, you are putting them in jeopardy theoretically. You could get them sick. You could cause them harm some other way. Driving is an obvious example that we talked about last week. Whenever you drive down the highway, you're putting other people on the highway in jeopardy, especially if you're a woman. Just kidding. Not really. There are, of course, undue or unreasonable risks that you might take, which may result in harm coming to another person. Driving drunk is one. Um, another might be, you know, setting off a pink smoke bomb in the middle of a drought su surrounded by dry wood and grass as part of a gender reveal party leading to a wildfire that torches 20,000 acres and kills someone in the process. And that was a real thing that happened. The couple in that case face up to 20 years in prison, and that's probably fair because the risk they took was extreme and unnecessary and unreasonable, and their actions, given the context, had a very high likelihood of resulting in disaster. The question then is whether a person with no symptoms, who has no known contagious illness, and no particular reason to think he might have such an illness, and who might even be immune because of prior infection or vaccination, is somehow engaging in extreme, unreasonable, potentially murderous risk-taking by simply walking out of his house and down the street without a mask on his face? If the answer to that question is yes, then again, it must apply all the time to everyone, whether COVID is a factor or not. There is always a chance that you could get someone else sick with an illness you don't know you have. There is always a chance that this unknown illness could be fatal. If we're not supposed to take those kinds of chances with each other's health, if it's an infringement on their liberty to do so, then we should never see a stranger's face ever again in public. Permanent masking is the only way. You know, it is, it is not unreasonable for a healthy-seeming person to go about their lives as every other healthy-seeming person in history through all time has gone about their lives. Remember, this idea that you should just wear a mask preemptively everywhere you go, even if you're not at any significant risk of spreading or contracting a virus, is completely new. Humans have never responded to a disease this way. And it's not because there weren't any diseases. 
And yet, if we don't adopt a radically new approach to living, rejecting the way that everyone everywhere for all time has lived, then we're not only wrong, but somehow we're, we're, we are the extremists, the radicals. The ones who need to defend our own behavior rather than the other way around. What it comes down to is, is this. And if what I'm saying, what I'm about to say here offends or scandalizes you, that's a sign that you're hopelessly confused. So here it is. You don't have the right to not get sick. Okay, Someone else's bare, maskless face um, can only be considered an infringement on your rights if you possess the positive right to be free from all illnesses. But you don't have that positive right. You cannot have that positive right. You may as well say you have the right to never die. I mean, sickness is an inevitability of life. The risk of sickness comes hand in hand with your membership in a human society. In fact, even if you separated yourself from human society and all human contact, you're still going to get sick. Because nearly everything you come across in the physical world is a potential transmitter of disease and death. Everything. Now, it's not psychologically healthy to view everything that way or to dwell on it, but it's true. To say that you have the right to not get sick is to say that everyone else, the entire world, nature itself has a responsibility to shield you from an inescapable aspect of reality. The idea that, that, that we have the right to not get sick stems then not only from an overwhelming, suffocating sense of entitlement, but also from the utterly deluded notion that a sickness-free, death-free existence is potentially available to us if we just take the right precautions. It isn't. No such existence is on offer for anyone. Sickness, discomfort, misery, death. All of these will accompany you through your life, no matter what you do. They're always going to be right there, standing right beside you, until they finally consume you and put you in the dirt. Again, we may not like to dwell on this fact, but it is a fact, undeniably, unavoidably. With all that said, does that mean that a person who is sick with a dangerous illness and knows it um, has no responsibility to take precautions or avoid contact with other people in some circumstances? No, of course not. You don't have any universal and inalienable right to never get sick, but that doesn't mean that someone can infect you effectively on purpose. Just as you don't have a universal, universal inalienable right to never die, but that doesn't mean that someone could just walk up and stab you in the heart. So here's an example of a form of viral transmission that would constitute an infringement and a crime. Um, or it should be a crime anyway. If somebody knows they have HIV and they have sex with somebody else without telling that person that they're HIV positive. Okay, there's an infringement. But incidentally, in California, it is no longer a felony to do exactly that. In that state, a law was passed recently making it so that it is not a felony to knowingly expose another person to HIV without their consent. To knowingly to do something with them that you know is very likely to give them HIV and not tell them. That is no longer a felony. And of course, that change in the law was celebrated by the left, especially by LGBT activists. And as it happens, these are many of the same people who now say that you're infringing other people's rights by walking through Walmart without a mask. Having sex with someone and exposing them to HIV on purpose is all right. But standing, standing by a person with no known illness, uh, you know, in, in a checkout line for a few minutes without a mask on, that, is, uh, that makes you effectively a biological terrorist. That's the logic we're supposed to accept. And it's exactly backwards. And that is why the mask cultists are, once again, not for the first time, not for the last time, canceled. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everybody. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. 
The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, editor-in-chief of Daily Wire. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, governments across the globe crack down on protests over vaccine mandates and renewed lockdowns. School districts and lawmakers clash over mask mandates, and police sound the alarm over police reform. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 